0: Friends, open your Bibles if you would or the Bibles on the pew rack in front of you to Luke chapter 8 as we continue in Luke with verses 22 through 25. Now hear the word of the Lord. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed... He fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to receive your word for our salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Is God there and does he care? This is the question that comes to us in times of distress. This is the question that we ask one another when things are all upset in the world. Is God there and does he care? No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter how many years you have behind you of following the Lord, When times of distress come, friends, this question will still come. Is God there? Do you even see me, Lord? Is God there and does he care? Well, when you ask that question, the first question I have to ask is, which God are you talking about? I have two friends named Tom. They're both pastors. They both lead churches that Abigail and I care deeply about. And a few weeks ago, I said to my wife, Abigail, I just got off the phone with Tom. She said, oh, how's he doing? And for a few minutes, we talked back and forth about Tom. We talked about uh, how he was preaching, how the church was going. We talked about how his wife and kids Are getting along, and after about three or four minutes, I finally realized we were each talking about a different Tom. (laughs) Which Tom are you talking about? When we ask, "Is God there, and does He care?" I need to know. Well, which God are you are you talking about? A good deal of our work as Christians is trying to become, as we're trying to become mature Christian disciples. A good deal of what we need to do is root out false gods in our lives, is root out false idols, things that we're worshiping, that that we allow to take the place of God, to take the role of God our Father and King on the seat of our heart. We need to root them out, false gods. Just about anything can be fashioned into an idol into something which we trust, into something in which we put all of our faith, all of our hope. You can make an idol out of money. You can make an idol out of fame or physical pleasure or prestige. You can even make an idol out of good things like education or productivity or family or Pokemon Go. Good, beautiful things. But if you, if you get too excited about them, they can become an idol. Did you know that we're a pokey stop? By the way, our church is a pokey stop. Some of you don't know what you're talking about. You better ask your kids, your grandkids. Anything can become an idol. Anything that we place our trust in can become our God, our false God that we're putting all of our faith in. This, uh, this spiritual pattern is, is one that, that is pervasive in our culture and not even just making uh, something that already exists out to be a God, putting your faith in things that are already there, but what's really pervasive in our culture is making your own God, creating your own God, a God of your own projection, an object for your own personal spiritual experience, a God of your own fashioning. We call it projection. What if there is no God, there's no actual God, but what we call God is actually a human projection of good attributes, the best of mankind that we project up to heaven and then we bow down and worship. Many philosophers and psychologists think that this is the best way to explain human religious practice. That there is no real God, but we project up into the heavens. I project my best self, the perfect life, the happiest and most fulfilled life that I can conceive of, and because I can't make it happen under my own power, I psychologically project it up into heaven, and I call it God. Do you follow? It's a way of of kind of escaping, extracting myself psychologically from the current situation. It's a way of of creating a hope, a kind of a faith, a false hope, a false faith, but something on which I can sort of say I believe and and I, I experience faith. My God will get me through Friends, this is probably the single most active competitor in our society, keeping people from true faith in Jesus Christ. The idea that we can fashion our own gods, that we can each walk around with our own God concept, our own God principle and get all the benefits of believing. Oh and, oh, and oh, it fits our culture to a T because what that means is there's no saying my God is better than your God or my God is truer than your God because that would be like saying my dreams are, are better than your dreams. That's just rude. You wouldn't do, you wouldn't do that. You see. What if there is no God? We're just projecting something into the heavens and and we're just walking around each of us with our own God principle. Friends, I'm telling you, there are a lot of people trying to do this. A lot of the people who fill the seats in many of our churches are actually engaged in an attempt at this philosophy, an attempt to make their own God. I can tell you right now, I'll warn you, if that's the project that you're about, I'm not going to be of very much help to you. I believe you deserve better. I believe your soul deserves the truth. Is God there? Well, which God do you mean? Do you mean an imaginary projection? Or do you mean the one true God? God. The opposite of projection is revelation. The opposite of projection is that God is there, that God is real, that he actually exists and God exposes himself, he reveals himself to us in Jesus Christ. And we are not free to make God out to be whatever we would like God to be. We're not free to cast God in our own image. On the contrary, what we find is that God is quite settled with who he is and satisfied with who he is. God is there and God is, God is someone, God is, is something, some, someone with whom we have to contend and we have a relationship with. If God is there, you have a relationship with God. That relationship is either healthy and good or it is broken and bad. See, this isn't a, a religious and spiritual project of our own making, friends. This is a God, a real God that we have to deal with. So which God is it? Which God did Jonah cry out to from the belly of the fish? Which God did the disciples rouse when their boat was filling with water? Studying this uh, passage in Luke, a great New Testament scholar named Daryl Bach wrote this. Is God there and does he care? No question is more basic to human beings' relationship to the creation and to one another. If he's not there, then life is a free-for-all and we must do the best we can for ourselves. Often this worldview means that the one with the most power wins. If God is there, then finding him and responding to him is our most basic need, for if he exists, then the power resides with him and everyone becomes accountable to him. Which God do you prefer? Which God would you rather have, the the projection or the revelation? Which would you rather have, the God of your own making or the God who makes a claim? It's very tempting, the projection. Let me tell you, it's very tempting. With the projection, you're never challenged, never confronted, never corrected. With the projection, faith is only a psychological exercise to attain your self-determined end. With the, prote- with the projection, uh, you'll never be judged and you can become a winner and make other people losers just by your own power. It's very tempting and let me tell you, as Americans, we're very tempted that idea which would you rather have the projection or the revelation before you make your choice let me warn you a projection cannot show up in the storm only God can do that Jesus said get into the boat let's go across the waters we're going to the other side Anything can happen in the waters and we ask, will God carry us through? Remember, Jesus is teaching us to have ears to hear. He's teaching his disciples to listen and obey. Get in the boat, he says. Put your whole life in there. They do it. Okay. Across the water they go and a squall comes down over the lake. The water is filling the boat, and it's, it's bad. Now remember, these are not uh, tourists. These are not novices in the boat. Many of these men are hardened and experienced fishermen. They know when it's bad, and it's bad. Their lives are in jeopardy, and they feel that they could perish, and all the while, as the boat is filling up, Jesus sleeps. So the disciples wake him up. Master, master, they say. Did they mean it uh, in in a good way or did they mean it sarcastically? We don't know. Hey, captain, good job. You got us into this mess. Now get us out. Wake up, wake up. Don't you care? Jesus does wake up. And he stands up and he puts the storm to rest like a disobedient child. And then he turns to his friends. And he takes the moment to teach the people he so dearly loves. Four lessons from this event. Four lessons for us. Number one God is there. God is always there, friends. Don't you know? Jesus is with the disciples in the boat, even though he sleeps. Jesus is there. Even though they can't really tell that he is, he's there. God is always there. God is there in the storm. And as a side note, isn't it it good and comforting that Jesus sleeps in the boat? Isn't it? No? You don't want him asleep? You want him awake? Well, think about it this way Jesus sleeps because he is undisturbed by the storms that terrify us. Jesus is there and he is unperturbed by the waves that crash against our lives. Oh no, Jesus, we say, the waves of secularism are are sweeping in and sinking our little ship. Oh no, oh no, Jesus, the winds of war and violence are taking the lives of the innocent. Oh no, Jesus. Oh no. The next generation seems to be running from you instead of being drawn towards you like I think my generation may have been. Oh no, Jesus, the political leaders that we have are fools and charlatans. Oh no, oh no, the economic systems are unfair and they're rigged. Oh no, Jesus. Now what if Jesus got up and turned to you and said, oh no. Really? It's that bad? What are we going to do? No. Jesus sleeps. The peace of God within his heart is so profound, so deep, Jesus is unperturbed. He is in the middle of the storm, and yet he sleeps. And that's good news Friends, make your assessments about the world to cast your prayers and your anxieties on the Lord, but never forget who the Lord is. Amen? Number one, God is there. Number two, God is able. Jesus calms the storm. He stands up and he rebukes it. With much the same authority that you would see him uh, rebuking a, a demon or an evil spirit or spiritual powers, verse 24, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was, say it with me, calm. Don't miss what is the clearest and most important message of this event. Jesus is able to calm the storm. There is no storm, there is no wave that Jesus can't handle. Number three, our faith rests in him. Jesus stands, calms the storm, then turns to the disciples and asks, where is your faith There's a lot that Jesus could have said in that moment. I might have gone with something like, yeah, did you see that? Or I told you so. Or even just, ta-da! But Jesus wants to teach. He wants to instruct. In the middle of the storm, he wants to move the disciples he loves from fear to faith. And so he says, where is your faith. It would have been a lot to ask of these disciples, I know, but they should have trusted the words of Jesus. He said, get into the boat. We're going to the other side. That should have been enough. They needed to trust that if Jesus said we're going to the other side, then we're going to the other side. Storm or no storm, wind or no wind. They should have trusted in the words of Jesus. Where is your faith if not in the promises of Jesus? Where is your trust in not in the promises that he has declared? How long did the, the disciples going through the storm try to fa- fix everything and solve it with their own expertise, their own experience, their own ability? Uh, How long were they looking at Peter and James and John, these weathered uh, fishermen, and saying, why don't you fix this, you know? You can picture Matthew, the tax collector, sitting in the boat with his hands folded across his lap. Uh, Peter, you know, you're the expert here. Uh, Why don't you do your boat stuff and get us out of this? And how long? How long was their faith and their trust and their own capabilities, their own means and ways and experience? How long before all of that ran out and they had to turn to Jesus? Our faith rests in Him and it belongs in Him first. Number four, Jesus is God, by his deeds he is revealed. Ideas can make you interested, but deeds make you tremble. Verse 25, who is the? In fear and amazement they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him, Who, who is this? Who is this Jesus? These uh, Hebrew fishermen, they would have known Psalm 107. A good chunk of Psalm 107 goes this way. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Who is this? They asked each other. Only God can do this. Who is this? Only God has that much authority. Who is this? Only God has that power. And this is Jesus. This is not some shade of projected human potential, not some imaginary embodiment, a mist of human hopes and dreams, no, no, no. This is Jesus and Jesus is God. In the middle of the storm, Jesus wants to move his disciples from fear to faith. Where are you? Where are you today? Where is your faith? Where is your trust? Last week, a woman named Shatamia Taylor was leaving the protest in Dallas with her four teenage sons when she caught a bullet and her leg from the same shooter who ruthlessly murdered five police officers that day. She had come to teach her children as she said that there is power in unity when people stand together peacefully. As they were leaving shots rang out and the bullet pierced her calf and fractured her tibia a nearby police officer looked at her and said, he's got a gun, run. You may have heard that Shatamia Taylor is now known for what she did next. She grabbed her son and she threw him down into the gutter of the street and she lay herself over him, holding him down to shelter him from any further harm and she prayed. She prayed and she prayed. She prayed her way through it. She said, I kept praying for everybody. I was praying for my sons to be safe. I was praying for the officers to be safe and well. She cried out to Jesus in the storm and she prayed her way through it. And let me tell you, this was not some false imaginary God that she called out to. Where is God? Is God there? And does he care? She prayed. She prayed her way through this, not to some God of her own making, not to some imaginary projection. She prayed to the one true and saving God, the Lord God Almighty, the Father of heaven and of earth, the Maker of all things, who's revealed himself in Jesus Christ and is present by his Holy Spirit. She prayed. Where is God in the storm? Is he there? And does he care? I ask you to close. Which God are you talking about? If it's an imaginary God, if it's your own projection, your own spiritual project, then no. He's not there. There's nothing there. Oswald Chambers wrote, The initiative of the saint is not towards self-realization, but towards knowing Jesus Christ. Cry out to God, open your heart to Jesus Christ, turn toward Him, trust in Him, open up in faith, and you will see that He is there and He can here, if he heard Jonah from the belly of the fish, if he heard Joseph from the bottom of the well, if he heard David from the caves of Abdullah, if he heard the disciples in the boat with their ankles swamped with water on the Sea of Galilee, then, brother and sister, this God can hear you. He can hear you when you call out to him. He can hear you even when you don't have the courage or the strength to open your voice. He can hear you. Calling out, call out to him. Is God there and does he care? I ask you this. Do you right now have the courage to call out to him and find out? Let's pray. Lord, each of us in our lives, there are moments when our hearts tremble, our knees shake. The ground beneath us feels unsteady and uncertain. And we wonder, Lord, are you there? And do you care? Do you see? Lord, strengthen our hearts to call out to you in faith. Encourage us to get up and to to rush towards you calling, Master, Lord, Savior. Lord, open our hearts so we can truly see that you are there, that you are real, that you are true, that you love us and that your purposes are for our salvation, we open our hearts to you with faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.